Morning. How are you guys doing? I know that that's been asked several times, but we don't believe you. That's why we keep asking you. <laughs> uh, I mentioned this morning, I don't know how people live like in places like Seattle. Anybody from Seattle? Okay. All right. I'm not picking on people from Seattle. I'm just saying, you know, like a lot of rain, it, it does no good to the soul. You know, it's just kind of hard. It's just gloomy and dark and rainy. Um, hey, if you're... Uh, just joining us, we have been on the sermon series through Luke 15, particularly looking at the prodigal son. Um, this morning, before I launch, because uh, days like this, it's really hard, you know, where like our minds are all over the place, and boy, it was like, it was like climbing Mount Everest this morning for me personally to preach in this context, because everybody's minds are scattered all over the place, and it's just, you know, we're not in our right frame of Maybe you are, you are, you're, you're like right there. Clap if you're, like, right there and you're just ready to go. Okay, all right. Maybe half of the people. Okay, so for the non, like, I'm right there, ready to go types of people, um, mornings like this, I'm I'm specially reminded that we need to rely on on the Holy Spirit and for Him to work despite us, actually, you know, because a lot of us distraction and tired and all this other stuff. So I'm praying while I'm preaching here this morning. Um. And if you need to pray that prayer, say, God, help me to pay attention, help me to be focused, help me to hear what I need to hear, just pray that prayer this morning. Uh, For To catch everybody up, I'm going to ask those of you that have been through this series, like, what are you learning? What have you learned through this series? Just talk back to me here, and you can talk to everybody else too. What are you learning? What have you learned? Absolutely nothing. I've learned absolutely. Come on. Talk to me here. Huh? There's no comfort zone being a Christian. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Anybody else? What are you learning about this very actually familiar story? What are you learning? What new things are you learning, processing? Omar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the way we're defining sin, right? We're defining sin, you guys. Essence of sin is not breaking rules. That's what we think. List, wrong, doing wrong. Essence of sin, the Bible says, Genesis 3, is saying to God, I'm my own God. I'm my own master. I don't need you in my life. I don't want you in my life. I'd like your things, younger son. I'd like your inheritance, but I don't want you. And what we, you guys, think of sins, uh, that is stuff that we do wrong on the list, Ultimately, when you follow the trail, it has as its beginning point, consciously or subconsciously, you and me saying, God, I'm going to run my own life. Thank you very much. I'm going to do things my way. Could anybody relate to that? Two people? Okay. Thank you. Essence of sin. What else? Okay, let me ask this. How many of you guys think you're the younger brother? Raise your hand. Is that right? Okay, about five, six, seven, eight of you. Okay, okay. How many of y'all think you're the older brother in the story? <laughs> okay, yeah. Surprise, surprise, right? Surprise, surprise. I didn't actually ask that in the morning service. But for those of you that are the younger brothers and you're going, man, this whole older brother deal, I'm not like connecting with that. That's okay. That's okay. Today, what I'm going to do is as we conclude this series, I'm actually going to focus in on really, really what makes the older brother older brother. 
And some of the younger types are going to be like, actually, that, I didn't think that was me, but that's me. And as I said last Sunday, you guys, this morning's sermon, it's going to hurt before it can heal. Okay? It could hurt. I, I, I felt bad because I felt like I was like attacking people this morning. You know, I was going through the characteristic attributes of the older brother. And with each progression of the character attributes, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm just yelling at them. And, you know, I, I saw the energy of the room just going, oh, you know. But there's hope at the end. There's hope at the end. Okay? But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard before it can get better. Um, we, we, we looked at the younger son. That's act one. And Jesus intended this to be a story with two acts. The younger son says to the father, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Goes away, does his thing, comes back only to experience God's grace. God's grace. By the way, I didn't share this morning service. I got the bill for picking up my computer. Those of you that were here last Sunday, I I spilled, spilled water on my Mac laptop. The bill is that... The repairs would have cost me $750. And I told you guys last Sunday, one of the guys that works there um, essentially just said, it's free. And I share with you guys, experience that grace like changed me. It's just money, just one guy giving me something I don't deserve. And it changed me. That's what the father does to the younger son. So the younger son says, I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to earn my way back into the family. Hired me as a worker. And the father says, I'm not going to hire you back. You're my son. And he receives him. Well, the older brother's story picks up in verse 25. And we're going to go ahead and read that for the last time, okay? And we'll make some notes here. Older brother, verse 25. Meanwhile, the Bible says, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, basically, look, you, ultimate, ultimate sign of disrespect. All these years I have been slaving for you. That's how he describes his relationship with his father. I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My, father, the fa- uh, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Throughout this sermon series, I've been asking you a question, right? Why are you good? Why are you being moral? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you serving? Why are you about the mission of Jesus? And I've gotten a couple of emails from some folks saying, stop attacking me. I love Jesus. I don't love the mission. I love Jesus. Look, here's all I'm saying, okay? I'm not, I'm not like saying, no, you don't, <laughs> you know? I'm like convincing you that you don't. I'm like, you know... All I'm saying is take a step back and just genuinely ask, like, do I really do the things that I do for Jesus or do I do them for myself? Uh, Here's what Mother Teresa said one time. Pray for me that I not loosen my grip on the hands of Jesus even under the guise of ministering to the poor. Hello. So I don't know about you all, but if Mother Teresa struggles with loving the mission of Jesus more than Jesus, I think I struggle with that a little bit too. You know what I'm saying? 
all I've been trying to say to you guys is, hey, 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 how's your grip on Jesus? Are you holding fast to him? Or are you doing it under the guise of whatever it is that you do? Now, if you're sitting there going, but you know what? Aren't we supposed to like love God by loving our neighbors? Isn't that one of the ways we love God? All I'm saying is this. I'm not that holy. I'm not that spiritual. So a lot of times when I love people, it's because I love myself, not because I love God. Can anybody relate to that? My motives are not all that pure all the time. You know, I could say to myself, I do all these things. I love my I serve the poor because I, I want to love God via them. When in fact, it's actually loving myself via them. Michael, you ever struggle with that? I struggle with that all the time. So when I say, do you love the mission of Jesus more than Jesus? I'm saying, this is our first task. It's to grip the hands of Jesus because it's that that compels us to seek for his kingdom. Amen? That's all I'm trying to say. You got to get the order right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and grip the hands of Jesus so tightly that it compels you, propels you to love your neighbor. So if you're somebody who's loving your neighbor to really love yourself, to make yourself feel better, you might be an older brother. That's all I'm saying. So today, I'm just going to go through the characteristic attributes of the older brother. Y'all are going to get mad at me, okay? Some of you are just going to be like, hmm, and it's not going to be like, today's sermon until the very end is not going to be one of, woohoo, you make me feel so much better about myself. Actually, it's going to be hard. Is that okay? I'm going to be in your grill, as they say. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. Characteristics of older brother. Here's how you know you're an older brother, okay? You can't tell by how you can tell younger brother. You can't tell older brother by external. You know, you're not in the gutter, you know. You're, you're not hungover and not in church, you know. You're like outright rebelling and you're, you know, you're doing all these things. Older brother characteristic attributes are very, very internal. And they come out, but they're internal. So here they are. You ready? First. And I'm going to, I'm going to the scriptures. I'm not just making this up. I'm going to. Go to the scripture, see the older brother. First, you know you're an older brother, older brother, when there's anger and resentment at how your life is going, oftentimes fueled by wrong interpretation of reality and constant comparison to others. That's a mouthful, right? You know you're an older brother if there's anger and resentment at how life is going, oftentimes fueled by wrong interpretation of reality and or comparison to others. What do I mean? The dead giveaway for the older brothers in verse 29 when he says, I never got a goat and he gets a calf. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm better than the younger brother. I keep the rules. I follow the rules. I'm a good person. And look at their life. Look at their life. And then look at my life. What's the point? Why am I being good? Why am I Christian? When I look at their life and they're getting so much more than what they deserve. Where's mine? You're angry as an older brother. You feel like God owes you. Why do you feel like God owes you? Not because you're bad, because you're good, because you've obeyed. Because you've obeyed. Okay, I got to be very careful how I say this. If you're someone who's angry and resentful at how life is going right now, okay, stop telling yourself that it's your circumstances. It's not your circumstances. It's how you're looking at your circumstances and how you're interpreting it. 
Some of us, I know, go through unbearable, unimaginable hardships. And I'm not talking about you. I'm not picking on, you know, just sort of flippantly like, if you're having a hard time. I'm talking about for many of us, many of us, when we look at our lives, we go, my life stinks. Where's the justice in that? You know, I've kept myself sexually pure and I'm single for crying out loud. Where's the justice in that? I've been a good person. I didn't get that job, get into that school. On goes the list. Can I just say two things? Number one, a lot of times our anger is fueled by how we're interpreting. Look, nobody's life goes as well as you think your life ought to go. How in the world do you know what other people's lives are like? When you look at them and go, I want their lives. Do you really want their lives? Do you really know what's going on in their lives? You see what I'm saying? Secondly, secondly, I don't say this flippantly, there are billions of people around the world who would trade places with you today. Is your life really going that bad? Was that hard? Not too, not too bad? Okay, okay. It's going to get a lot harder. You ready? Okay. Here, here it is. Okay. When we get angry at God, there's two things that kind of drives this anger. One is this. One is we're literally saying to God, God, I don't like the way you're running the universe, and I think I can do a better job. Can we just be honest? Come on. Right? Yes, you, me too. Like, we're saying to God, God, I know how the universe ought to go. And I don't like the way you run the universe, so I'm angry. Here's another reason why we're angry. Ready? We're angry because we think there's a limit to what God can do in your life. And God's gone beyond that limit. There's a limit to what you think God can do in your life. That's why we go ballistic when God brings certain things into our lives. We're going, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. And so when God asks us to do something, we go, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Why? We think there's a limit. Why do we think there's a limit? Because we're obeying. Because we're good. Because we're moral. There's a limit to what you could ask of me. Ask somebody who has totally, completely embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ from beginning to end, A to Z, you are saved by grace and grace alone. Did I do anything? Absolutely nothing. You are saved by God's grace and grace alone. When you believe that, there's nothing that God cannot ask of you. Nothing. The reason why we say, God, there's a limit to what you could ask of me is because we don't believe that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Because if you think, even for a moment, that you contribute to that process, that always gives you a door to go, ah, not that, uh-uh. Why? Look at what I do. Be an older brother. Are you angry? Are you resentful? what God has brought into your life or doing. Uh, before I end at this point, I want to I I be very careful and articulate this. There are two sides to this anger, two sides to this anger, and, and that is you're angry either at God or you're angry at yourself. And the reason why you're angry either at God or yourself is because you function from a dichotomy of, false dichotomy of, either I'm good and so I'm valuable or I'm so sinful and I'm so worthless. So when you're doing good and you're being moral, you're doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do, you say, I'm good and I'm valuable. And so when bad things happen, we get angry at God and go, I don't deserve this. What's this? What's this? Look at everything I do for you. I'm trying. Or dichotomy. You think you're sinful and worthless. So when bad things happen, you get mad at yourself and you go, what an idiot. What's wrong with you? 
Why do you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again? You're such an idiot. And we get angry at ourselves. And so many of us, older brothers, sway from angry at God. Look at I'm good. Angry at ourselves. I'm so dumb. Angry at God. What does the gospel say? This is why the gospel is so like, whoa-oh. The gospel comes along and says, you are incredibly sinful, but you're incredibly valuable at the same time. It's not an either-or. Do you get that? Do you really get that? That we're incredibly, terribly sinful, and yet in Christ we are incredibly valuable at the same time? Let me tell you. So here's how that works if you believe the gospel, okay? And why it deals with anger. If we believe that we're genuinely saved by grace and we're sinful, when certain things happen to us, when certain things happen to us, we don't complain. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Let me just, okay? Bible says in Psalm 103 that God does not treat us as our sins deserve or according to our iniquities, right? Um, how many of us sit here today and go, you know, if that decision that I made like two years ago really played out the way it should have, and I got what I deserved because of that decision, where the heck would I be today? Anybody? Anybody? Any, uh, uh-huh. Anybody relate to the whole like, you know, when I made that decision like eight months ago, the fallout of that should have been that I should have been in whatever the list is, and yet I didn't. I'm, I was spared. I was kept. I'm, I'm here today. I'm... What would happen if Romans 1, God gave us over, the Bible says, to our desires? Do you know that the most powerful prayers in your life are the prayers that God never answered? Do you know what our lives would look like if God answered all of our prayers? You, you, are you following? If every time we said, God, I wish, da, da, da. God, I wish you could have. God, why did you? And God said, okay, to every single prayer that we prayed, what would our lives look like? Anybody? The best thing that God could do is grace and says, you don't really mean that. <laughs> when you understand the gospel, you realize, he's kept me. He's saved me. He's extended mercy to me. But the flip side, you need to listen to this. The Bible also says you're incredibly valuable. And why is that important? Because when bad things happen, you don't go, God, you're punishing me. God, this is unfair. God, because the cross of Jesus Christ says over and over again, over and over again, that he paid for all your punishment. Do you get, do you, Christian, older, do you understand that? That there is no more punishment coming your way because God paid for all the punishment that you and I deserved. It is the lie of the enemy that comes to you and says, God is punishing you for X, Y, and Z. God is, when you hear that lie, you need to say to yourself, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is he paid for my sins once and for all. There's no more punishment coming my way. And for anybody sitting here that says, Peter, my biggest struggle is the injustice that happened in my life, the evil happened in my life. How is that fair? And how could anything good come out of that? Friends, what is the cross? The cross says to you, the greatest of injustice, the greatest of evil, the greatest of sin was ultimately used by God. The death of a perfect son of God to bring about hope, to bring about resurrection. 
So if you're somebody that struggles with faith, like, how could God possibly use this? God, are you fair? You might not have all the answers today, but you need to look at the cross and go, God, how can I deny that something of hope, something redeeming, something that will glorify you will come out of this when, in essence, the cross of Jesus Christ declares to you and me the death and the murder of his son brought about salvation, redemption, and glory. I'm not saying they're easy answers. I'd be the last person to say why we go through what we go through. But I can tell you what the Bible says in terms of where our hope lies. Amen? It's the cross, the cross, the cross, the gospel. Older brothers, I don't know, am I talking to anybody today who's struggling with anger and resentment and bitterness? And maybe because you're a good Christian, you're saying, but so I don't blow up. I keep it bottled in. And it's a volcanic eruption waiting to happen. Is there hope? Yeah, there is. I'll get to that a little bit later. Second character, Sriachi, says, older son, is that he hates the law of God that he's obeying. He hates the law of God that he's obeying because obedience is a moral grind. Can anybody relate to this? <laughs> Can anybody relate to being a Christian and the oldest son? I have slayed for you, you know? So on the outside, you're law-abiding, but inside, you're law-hating. Because you look at obedience and doing good things and right things. Look, anybody here that grew up Catholic, come on. You know exactly what this is like. Why am I doing this? What's the point of this? And you hate, quote-unquote, obedience. Why? Because in elder brothers, elder brothers, obedience is not ultimately compelled and motivated by love for God. It's compelled, motivated, as I'll get to, by fear, by wanting stuff from God. Um, the thing that I, I see in older brother and Christians is that generally speaking, older brother, brother types actually do better than the younger brothers in terms of why they're, uh, in terms of obedience. But the world, the difference between a Christian and an older brother, you guys, is the reason why. Why are you obeying? Why are you being moral? Why are you good? The Bible's always getting to the essence of your, your behavior. Why are you good? It, it, the Bible doesn't matter. It says it doesn't matter if your moral, morality is good. You're, why? Why? What is your fundamental motivation? Uh, this is so embarrassing, you know. When I was in college, I was this good holy roller Christian guy, you know, Christian leader on campus and all that. And, you know, we all have our vices, our weaknesses, and mine was like relationships and dating and girls, right? And this sounds bad, but I really, really wanted to have sex as a Christian. But I'm saying to myself, you can't have, you can't have sex, you know? And to be honest, the motivation was because I didn't want to go to hell. I'm being, is that too honest? Do you know what I mean? So here's what I did. On the outside, I'm talking about purity, sexual purity, and holiness for God, love for God. And the inside, I'm going around envious and jealous of guys that can go have sex all the time because they could care less. If you're a Christian here today and you're saying, my coworkers have it so good, they could do whatever the heck they want to <laughs> And I'm serious. You envy their lifestyle. If you're somebody here today, you're resentful and like obeying God is like, oh, I have to because it's better than going to hell. <laughs> Can we 
we just be honest? How many of you guys delight to obey? How many of you actually take pleasure and joy in obedience? How many of you celebrate your celibacy? How many of you celebrate your sexual? I mean, I'm serious. How many of you guys celebrate the fact that you're single? How many of you guys celebrate the fact that... I mean, really, or are we resentful? You see what I'm saying? So why do we obey? Well, older brothers say I obey because I have to. Here's why a Christian obeys. You guys ready? This is a couple reasons. Christians obey, number one, because you want to delight the one who saved you. You want to delight somebody who saved you. Do you know what? I get asked a lot of questions whenever I preach like this. Because people that grew up in a kind of a Catholic, moral, legalistic background, they come up and they go, listen, listen. How the heck do you expect us to, like, obey if there's no consequences to what we do? In other words, if God loves us no matter what and saves us no matter what, what incentive is there for being a holy, living, obedient life? Can anybody confess this morning that you're asking that this morning? Anybody? Like, if God loves us, God accepts us unconditionally, what incentive is there? If that's you, you know what your motivation is, whether you realize it or not? The fundamental motivation while you're obeying is fear. Fear of condemnation, fear of punishment. So essentially what you're saying is, so if that fear of condemnation and punishment was taken away, because after all, that's what's keeping me, that's what's controlling my behavior, then I go up and do whatever the heck I want to. But you ever think about this? There's a godly fear, and there's a very bad fear. <laughs> godly fear, bad fear. Godly, what's the, what's the opposite of godly? Ungodly, ungodly fear, okay? There's godly fear, and there's ungodly fear. Ungodly fear is selfish to the core. What do I mean? Ungodly fear says this. I'm not going to do certain things because I'm afraid that you're going to reject me. I'm afraid that you're going to punish me. I'm afraid that you're not going to want to be with me. But if you genuinely love somebody, doesn't that fear motivation change from, I'm afraid of your rejection. I'm afraid of what you're going to do because you know that they love you unconditionally. And the fear changes to, I'm afraid, not for me, but afraid of disappointing the one who will never reject me. I'm afraid of disappointing the one who says she'll never leave me. Why would I want to do that to her? Why would he want to do that to her? Do you see the difference? Because you can obey out of saying, God, why would I want to disobey when you love me like that? Two, why would I disobey when I disobey, I'm going to get it. And many of us, if we're functioning from, why would I disobey when I'm going to get it from God? You're going to hit a wall in your spiritual life and you're going to say, my Christianity doesn't work for me and I'm done. I can motivate my son to obey out of fear. Look, this is what I shared this morning. The thing that I love, the thing that I love when I get home, the kitchen door leads to kind of, and there's this, you know, wide open window. When Parker sees me, I tell you what, sees me from a, and he runs and he jumps you know he's a, he's a good athlete he runs and I haven't opened the door yet you know one of these days I'm afraid the door's not going to open he's going to you know so he's running I'm going open it so I open the door it's like perfect timing I open the door and he jumps into my arms and here's the thing that kid is so absolutely certain of his father's love for him so absolutely certain and sure there's security there there's security there. How is it that we've brought down the Christian life to the lowest common denominator? And that is, I don't want to do it because I'm afraid that he'll punish me. 
how in the world have we brought this amazing, beautiful thing called the Christian life and brought it to its lowest common denominator where we obey out of ungodly fear of being punished? So why do we obey? Because we want to delight the one who saved us. Anybody who has experienced the grace of God, you will have growing within you a desire to obey God. Now, listen, listen. If you're a genuine Christian, if you have authentic faith, you will have within you a genuine desire, a growing desire to obey. Does it wane? Of course it wanes sometimes. Do we mess up? Yes. But if you're a Christian and for the last four or five years, there's been zero desire, zero desire to be more like Christ. I just got to ask a question. You know where I'm going to ask, so I'm not going to go. There is growing, but here's the difference between a, a Christian and a religious person. The growing desire to obey isn't out of fear, but the growing desire to obey is out of a desire, growing desire to bring joy and delight to the one we love. What do I mean? True expression of love, as I shared last week, is that your joy and your delight is so wedded to their joy and their delight that whatever brings them joy, your beloved, brings you joy, brings you joy. And you make the transition, you guys. You make the transition, if you're a gospel-believing Christian, from I have to do these things to I get to do these things. I don't have to kiss my wife. I get to kiss my wife. I don't have to take naps. I get to take naps. <laughs> Simple pleasure in life. You know what I mean? Look, you don't have to serve God. God doesn't need servers. You don't have to worship God. Trust me. You get to. You get to. You get to. You don't have to. Do you know that? Roland, are you living that? If you're a gospel Christian, you begin to see duty differently. Here's what you see. You begin to see that duty and obedience, though opposite before, okay, now that you've seen his beauty, they're opposite no more. I don't have to get up at 5 in the morning and cook pancakes for my wife because I have to. I get up at 5 in the morning and cook pancakes for my wife because I get to. There's a difference. And don't ask me when the last time I did that was because <laughs> I'm just an analogy, you know what I'm saying? An illust illustration, you know? It's a sermonic tool. So don't go up to Jenny and go, Peter cooks pancakes for you? Because she'll look at you and go, did he say that? <laughs> Just an illustration. That's all I'm saying. There's, there's, <laughs> she was actually here this morning. She was actually here this morning. And Mike, I don't know if you noticed, but I stumbled as I was going through the You know, I was like, I'm a lot freer to lie this analogy because she's not here right now. <laughs> this morning, I saw her eyes staring at me going, he's lying. He doesn't do that for me. <laughs> okay, here's another reason. Here's another reason why we obey. We obey because we want to resemble the one who saved us. You ever heard the term imitation is the greatest form of flattery? Christ-likeness is the way that we delight and honor the one who saved us. Do you know that? It's not because you have to. Christ-likeness. Just like we make statues and paintings of people we admire, and we say, wait on them, imitate them. Imitating Christ is the way we honor him. The goal of life is not to stop sinning. The goal of life is to start worshiping. 
The goal of life, Christian life, is not to stop doing bad things. Again, lowest common denominator, Christian life. The goal of Christian life is not to stop doing bad things. It's to begin loving God, attracted by God, see his beauty so much that those desires will begin to weaken and wane. That's the goal of the Christian life. Can we stop looking at the Christian life as I got a list of things? I got to stop doing those things. The goal of Christian life is Jesus going, I want you to passionately love me. Passionately love me. (sighs) Lastly, we obey because we want to delight, we want to get near him to get him, not stuff from him. We obey as Christians to get him. Not get stuff from religion says you go to God because he's useful. Gospel says you go to God because he's beautiful. And you go to God to get God. Not the rewards of God, not the stuff of God. You go to God to get God. To get God. I don't know. God, you guys, has that transition happened? Is it, can anybody like... Because even as I'm preaching this, I'm going, God, I am so far from that. I am so far from that. Like, I can't remember the last time where I just sat and just basked in the fact that you were enough for me. Just basked in the fact that you're enough for me. And that I find your beauty so amazing that that propels me to live, not the lowest common denominator, but an amazing Christian life. Is it hurting yet? You know, I, I don't know. I just, I just look at us and look at our Christian lives and, and sometimes I go, what, what? Can I just put it this way, the, the cross again? Do you ever wonder, why did Jesus die for you? Because you're useful? Because he gets something out of it? Jesus died for you because you're beautiful. He, he must actually find you in and of yourself beautiful. That's why he dies for you. He gets nothing out of it. If you've made this transition, here's what you'll do. There will be a personal and an unconditional obedience aspect to why you obey. What do I mean? If you're still functioning from God, if this happens in my life, I'm done. God, if you don't answer those prayers, or God, if I don't get that thing, what you're saying is this. There's a premise that's underlying everything that you say, and the premise is God is not the real thing that I need. God is not the real thing that I want. It's that, or her, or him, or this. And as long as you function from that conditional, if you do this, if you answer that prayer, God, if my life goes a certain way, there will always be a barrier and a ceiling to your relationship with God. Because you'll never go to get him, go to him to get him. You'll always go to God to get the gifts of God. Are you an older brother? Are you an older brother? Here's some signs real quick. What's your prayer life look like? You know what we're going to do at the very end? Because for like many of us in here, do you know how long it's been since we prayed and all we did was just praise God, adore God? Without asking for anything. Hello. Whoa, that's revolutionary. Prayer? Like you don't ask for stuff? Yeah. We, you, God, 
says it's okay, you know, to pray to him and just go, God, you're amazing. God, I adore you. God, I worship you. And God said, they're going, okay, here it comes. Where's the stuff you need? And they're going, no, 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 nothing like that today. Just worship you. I feel like God's going to go, oh, that's new. Are you? Is your prayer life endless list of requests? Do you pray when you need something or when you're in trouble and don't pray any other time? See, for many of us, it's when all, okay, I can't say that word, I can't, okay, when all dung hits the fan, it's that time when we go, I gotta pray, I gotta, and God's going, where's the relationship? Hello? Where's the relationship? Intimacy? Yeah, I missed you too. I missed you too. Third, sign of older brother is that there's a combination of a lack of joy and a spirit of judgmentalism coupled with self-righteousness towards others. Can we just all agree on this? Can we just all agree that we don't like self-righteous people? <laughs> okay. Can anybody in here going, I actually kind of find them attractive. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> None of us. So why are we self-righteous? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to include, you know, we corporate, we. Why do I do that? Let me just say what. I hate self-righteous people, and, that, and yet I am many times self-righteous. And you know why? Because I'm an older brother. Let's just talk about that. First of all, there's a lack of joy. Why is there a lack of joy? There's lack of assurance. If you don't have assurance in a relationship, there's no joy. What do I mean? Older brother, dead giveaway. Verse 29. He says, you never even gave me a goat. And you know what he's saying? Goats are very cheap compared to calves. He's saying... I, 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 how come you never give me a party with just a, you know, a goat with my friends? And you know what the father says? The father says, everything I have is yours. Translation, you never asked me for a party. <laughs> why does the old brother never ask the father for a party? I could tell you why. We could relate. How comfortable do you feel asking somebody to do something for you when you don't have a relationship with them? Unless you're like me. See, I don't care. <laughs> right? We have a terminology in our church. It's called being honged, my last name. Because I will go up to anybody and everybody and go, can you do that for me? To which they go, I don't know you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Can you do that for me anyway? But if you're normal and well-adjusted, you need a certain level of trust and relationship before you could ask, right? The older brother is so far from home, even though he's home. The older brother is so far from the father's heart that he can't even feel certain that he could ask his father for a party with a goat, and the father will say yes. There's no assurance in his life. No assurance in his life. Now, check this out, though. The older brothers, you're very unsure about your relationship with God. This is so crazy, whacked out. But you're very certain about other people. Let me show you what I mean. Older brothers, you don't know the gospel, so you're very uncertain about yourself, right? You're going, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm accepted. Maybe I'm not. But when you turn around, you go, but I know for a fact who's Christian. Oh, I know who's good. I know who's bad. I know. Why? You have a list of things, older brothers, that are the list of things that you do if you're a good religious person, right? 
So you measure people based on this, the, the, the list of rules, and you kind of categorize people, good people, bad people. And therefore, even though you're unsure about your relationship with God, you're very sure about other people. And it comes out as self-righteousness. Things like, you're not a Christian. Well, how do you know? Because you don't act like one. What does that mean? You know, you don't act like a Christian. Tell me more. When Next time when somebody says that to you, you don't act like a Christian. I'm serious. Do this. What does that mean, I don't act like a Christian? If they give you a list of rules, say, are you saved by doing those things or are you saved by grace? Older brothers walk around going, you can't be a Christian. Well, that person can't be a Worse yet, that person will never become a Christian. <laughs> Why? Because they're so bad. I want to say, what about you? What about you? I mean, if the gospel is at work in your life, don't you go, if God can do that in me? You know what the difference between an older brother and a Christian? A Christian, when somebody says, are you a Christian? They go, I am. How could that be? Isn't that amazing? Holy cow. I'm serious. Next time somebody says, are you a Christian? I dare you. I dare you. At a coffee shop, somebody, are you a Christian? Go, I am. Can you believe it? It's amazing. How could this be? <laughs> Older brothers, are you a Christian? Oh, I'm trying. Oh, I know. You're saying, you know, I want to be humble because I'm not quite there. You know, we're all in process. Or it's that you're saying, I'm never really sure where I stand with God. And so I'm trying. And there's no joy. <sighs> How many of y'all think you're older brothers now? Okay. The gospel creates a deep certainty about you and a deep uncertainty about other people. You become very charitable if the gospel has transformed you. We give permission in our church to check self-righteous Christians. I'm serious. Anybody in our church that says stupid things like, that person can't be a Christian, I... You have my permission as your pastor to go up to him and go, I'm going to check you with that. <laughs> How do you know? How do you know? Do you know how attractive we would be if we were absolutely certain about people or absolutely certain about us and we're absolutely uncertain about other people and extended grace and mercy and love towards them? Do you know how attractive we would be? Okay, so that leads to fourth, which is, if you're an older brother, there is an impotence to, in regards to evangelism that is due to a lack of grace and a lack of love. Commentators here point out, you guys, that a fattened calf was way too much food for a single family. In other words, you never killed a fattened calf to invite your family, even if you invited your servants. It was way too much food. The only time you killed a fattened calf was when you invited the whole village. Now, check this out. If you invited the whole village, you know who's part of the village? Probably that land, probably that, uh, that man who owned land who uh, bought the property that the younger son needed to sell in order to go. And yet the father invited that guy. Do you know who else he invited to the party? The people in the village that said, that father's an idiot. He's an idiot. Look at, what is he doing? He should cut that son off and, he invited them too. Why? You know what grace says? Grace so transforms and changes us that we look at people who disagree 
and we don't say things like, well, you disagree? You don't believe what I believe? We're done. Cut off. We say, we, I may never get you to believe what I believe. I may never get you to think what I want you to think. But I still want to get to know you. I still want to eat with you, have fellowship with you. Older brothers, total exclusivity. You don't believe what I believe? You can't be friends. You don't agree with what I... You, exclusivity. Younger brothers, uh, people that are saved by grace. Hey, we may not agree on everything, but you know what? Saved by grace, upon grace, upon grace. The other thing about older brothers when it comes to evangelism, because you're so sure, you're arrogant. Your approach to evangelism, sharing your faith is, I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to convince you why you're wrong. And you, like, take joy in that, you know, delight in that. Gospel Christian says, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. And I'm clearly not, like, the best example, maybe, to do this, but God has done an amazing thing in my life. Let me share with you what, what he's done. Older brothers have an impotence to evangelism. You rarely interact with people who disagree with you. You rarely interact with people with radically differing views. You rarely do. Secondly, though, the reason why older brothers are impotent in evangelism, this one is hard. It's because we just don't give up. We just don't care. We don't. And if you're going, Peter, that's harsh. No, no, no. I don't. I'm impotent in evangelism. You may not say that. You're going, I don't like evangelism because you know what? It's kind of my evangelism, kind of churchy, you know, and, and like, like, you know, like fire out the radical Christianity. Or some of us go, I don't evangelize because I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid, I'm afraid of, you know, ridicule. I'm afraid that my coworkers are The reason why we don't do evangelism, honestly, is because we don't care. I can't remember the last time I stayed up at night because I thought about all the people in this community who don't know Jesus and my heart broke. I can't remember the last time I prayed for my family members who don't know Jesus and my heart broke, so I stayed up all night praying. I got to admit to you guys, I, I just don't care sometimes. And you know I don't care? It's not because I'm a bad person just like you. It's not because we're bad people or bad Christians. It's because we don't know the Father's heart. Because if our heart broke for the things that break God's heart, I guarantee you our lives would look different. Is that true? Is that true? If our heart broke for the things that break God's heart, the broken, the lost, this world, if our hearts broke for the things, no, our, our hearts don't. We love comfort. We love convenience. We love status quo. We love where we're at. Our older son is home, but he doesn't know the father's heart. And just like you and I would go out of our way to bring joy and delight to the one that we love uh, because it brings them joy and delight. The father says, when one of my children who are lost comes back home, all of heaven rejoices. And look, I don't mean this. You know, it's not, this has nothing to do with like church. And even, this has everything to do with my heart being centered on the heart of God and my heart so wedded to God's heart that what brings him joy brings me joy. That's my motivation. Not because I have to do it, but because it gives him joy. I wonder if anybody in this room will take this challenge. That is, if you want to pray a dangerous prayer, you pray this. God, break my heart for the things that break yours. God, will you do that today? God, will you break my heart for the things that break your heart? 
and your life will never be the same. Uh, Lastly, lastly, this is uh, a little bit hard, you guys. (laughs) I've been saying that all morning, right? How are you doing so far? How are you doing so far? Anybody want to walk out? I haven't seen anybody walk out yet. Anyway, how are you doing so far? Is this, uh, you guys hanging in there? Yeah? Okay. There's one left before hope. Because I just leave you and go, you're an older brother, and I'll go deal with it. I got an email this week from someone who comes to our church, and uh, it was one of those emails where you just go, the email was about a young lady in our church whose sister was raped by her grandmother, her grandfather, when she was like six years old. And this precious child of God who comes to our church is writing this email, and the person is saying, I can't forgive my grandfather, ever. My family has moved on. And unfortunately, a typical Christian family, like, oh, boy, didn't that stink? And, well, we're over. Let's move. And, she, and the person said, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I don't know if I could ever forgive my grandfather. But here's the thing. We all know that when we can't forgive somebody, it's like poison, isn't it? Lack of forgiveness will make your heart bitter. And when your heart gets bitter, it will get hard. And when it gets hard, you will no longer care for anything. And even though we, need, we know that we need to forgive, we, we struggle forgiving, don't we? We struggle forgiving. And I just need to say this to you. Throughout this parable, one of the underlying things is the older brother saying, I will never forgive him. Father, you can. I can't. You can be quick to forgive. I can never forgive him for what he's done. Miroslav Volf, who's a Croatian theologian, who's written a number of books on ethics, racial reconciliation, conflict, resolution who by the way personally has gone through some amazing amazing like can those two people actually forgive wrote a wonderful book and in this book he says there are two main barriers to forgiveness you ready number one we refuse to identify with the perpetrator because we don't think we're capable of doing what they've done You guys, listen. You will never be able to forgive somebody if in your heart of hearts you're going, I could never do what you did, so I'm not going to forgive you. And the cross of Jesus Christ levels the playing field, and you know what it says? It says, are we really not capable? Are we really not capable? The cross levels the playing field, you guys, and says... We are all sinners who have been deeply forgiven. I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> you know, I'm the kind of pastor, if she would have come into my office and shared this, you know, I don't just flippantly go, Jesus forgave us, so why can't you? You know, like smack me if, if somebody, you know. I would, never, I would never even venture there. But what I would do is this, I would say, I can't tell you what to do, but let me tell you what the cross of Jesus Christ says. It says that as long as we remove ourselves and saying, I can never do what you did, we will never be able to forgive because we remove ourselves from the efficacy of the cross and what Jesus did. I know this is hard. Again, it goes back to gospel and grace. 
Are you saved by grace and grace alone? Or are you saved because you're a better person than him or a good person? But secondly, though, and this is hope. He says the second barrier is that if we, if we forgive somebody, we fear that we're just kind of letting them go. We fear if we forgive somebody, our fear is we're sort of letting that person go. That person's going to go and do all kinds of other harm. And so it's kind of like inside, we play the executioner. You know, we go, unless I make you pay, unless I, we, we think that we're kind of letting them off. And the cross of Jesus Christ says this, listen, listen, there will come a day. When not one single wickedness, not one single sin, not one single injustice that's ever been committed will go unpunished. There will come a day, the cross says, when God will bring about justice that every wrong will be put to rights. And God says, let me do that, not you. Let me do it. You guys, let me put it this way. If you can't forgive somebody at the end of the day, It's because deep down inside, you don't believe that there will come a day when every evil, injustice, wickedness, sin committed against you and the world, God will judge and put to right. If you have that, Miroslav Volf is writing the people whose sisters have been raped, whose parents have been murdered in wars. And he says, if you don't believe that as a Christian, you're going to continue the vicious cycle of, they did that to my family, I'm going to do it to yours. And he says, when does it end? When does it end? When is that violence going to end? And he says, the only hope, only hope for that violence to end is when Christians believe the truth of the cross. That when Jesus Christ died, he died for all sin, all evil, and justice. And there will come a day when God says, enough. And he will put everything wrong. If you don't have that hope, you will feel like, I have to be the executioner. I have to make that person suffer. And if you're an older brother, and you're sitting here today going, Peter, my heart is hard. I know. Because I've been bitter for years. Because I can't forgive him. Or forgive her. Where's the hope? How do we experience change? How do we experience change? I'm pausing because I've brought you guys to this point and you're going, you can't just leave me here, right? You need to, I won't leave you here. Listen, how do we change? How do we experience transformation? One is something that you need to do and another is what you believe, you know, something you need to believe. One is this. The younger brothers will come and they'll say, repentance is a list. Look at all these things, prostitutes, drugs, drinking, debauchery, blah, blah, blah. And people say, if you want God and want a relationship with you, you got to repent of the list. The problem with that is in this parable, you have older brother and here's his list and there's nothing on it. There's nothing on it. So how does that person with nothing on their list repent and get genuinely saved? You don't just repent for the wrong things you've done. I'll say this very carefully. You and I will begin to experience change and transformation when you and I can repent for the reasons for the right things that we do. 
And if we're honest enough to say, God, a lot of times the reasons for the right things and the good things that I do, it's not really about you, actually. It's about me and my need to control you and control other people and my self-justification. I'm not going to hammer away at this because we talked about it last week, but if you're a Christian who's sitting there going, God, I need an attitude and a hard transformation transformation because God I don't at this time do it for you I do it for me God I don't do it for your glory or for the sake of your people and your kingdom it's about me and for me and I know it when you can begin to genuinely repent for the reasons you do right you will experience transformation you'll begin to see your life and your motivation change and a change will come not from the outside in but from the inside out Lastly, you know what commentators and scholars have, have said? A lot of times people will read the story of the prodigal son and they'll say this. They'll say, okay, Peter, you talk a lot about grace. See, this is a perfect reason why I don't like the whole concept of grace. Nobody pays. Nobody pays. There's got to be a cost. There's got to be a payment. And you say, well, look at the younger brother. He comes home and the father just says, hey, Welcome. He doesn't have to pay best payment. He doesn't have restitution. Like, where is the payment? Where is the payment? Somebody has to pay. And you begin to realize, like, wait a minute. It doesn't seem like the father has to pay anything either. Why? Because the younger son comes back. Remember we talked about this last week? And when the father says, give him the robe. Give him the ring. Kill the fattened calf. The reason why the older brother is angry is because it's whose? It's his. It's his. It's his stuff that the father is giving to the younger brother. And so in order for the younger brother to be received back, in order for the younger brother to be brought back to the father, in order for the younger brother to experience grace, the older brother has to pay. But Jesus paints an enormously stingy older brother, enormously self-righteous older brother. And Jesus is, listen, you guys, highlighting this parable. Maybe you will never look at it again the same way. He's highlighting this parable and he's going, there needs to be another brother who will say to the father, a true older brother, who will say to the father, Father, I'll go out and look. I'll go out and look until I find your son, my brother, and I can bring him home. The younger brother needs another brother who will say, Father, I will pay whatever cost and expense is necessary in order for me to go and bring my brother back, your son back, so that he could experience your love and your fellowship again. And you guys, the, the, the turning point, the tipping point of this parable is you and I are left there going, where is the true brother? Where is the older brother? And you know what this is saying? This is saying he doesn't have a true older brother, but guess who does have a true older brother? You do. I do. I know the look says, what are you talking about? Do you know what the Bible says? Listen, you guys. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation, that's you, perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you. What? Say it with me. Brothers. And it gets better because in verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like his 
brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. The whole point of this parable is this. You and I don't just need an older brother who will go to the next town to come find us. You and I needed a true older brother who was going to come down from heaven to earth to find us. In order for you and I to be found, we just need an older brother who says, God, oh, Father, I will pay at the expense of my wallet, my belongings, my inheritance to go find the younger brother. We needed a true older brother who was going to come from heaven to earth and saying, Father, even at the expense of my life, I will go and find my lost brother. The parable is saying, Older brother, younger brother, you need a true older brother and you have him. In who? In Jesus. In Jesus. In Jesus. This older brother came down from heaven to earth, paid at the expense of his life, and he earned the robe, the ring, and the honor. For who? For who? For who? For you. For you. And for me. For you. For you and for me, he earns it so that we would never have to earn it. And if you're an older brother and those characteristic attributes describe who you are, and if you're a younger brother and you're lost in your rebellion, the Bible is saying in wholeness, in transformation, in life change to come, you don't need to do more. You don't need to earn more. You don't need to go seek more. You need to believe and embrace the true elder brother, his name is Jesus, who has come and done this for, for you and for me. I wonder if this is good news to anybody. Is this good news to anybody? So here's what this means. If you're struggling with forgiveness, it's not saying, I will discipline myself, I'll go through, do all these things. Your inability to forgive come, is overcome. When the gospel of the true elder brother and what he did for you isn't just here in mental knowledge, but it begins to melt our hearts and the truth of what our true elder brother had to do becomes effective in our hearts and in our lives where we don't just believe it here, but we believe it with our lives and we say, he did that for me. He did that for me. We will move from obeying out of moral grind because I have to, to obeying to delight to imitate and to seek God for God, not when we try, when we earn, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of who God is and truth of who Jesus is, our true elder brother, and what he has done begins to melt our hearts and transform and change our motivation from within. Do you see that? The knowledge and the extent and the degree to which you and I know that we have a true elder brother and what he has done for us and the reality of that becoming alive in our hearts is the extent to which we will begin to see life change. And you and I cannot do this work alone. So here's how I want to end today's service, okay? Listen. 
And we're going to talk more about this throughout the series in Acts of how transformation change comes and the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, what I just talked about, this whole thing about the true elder brother, do you know that it's not something you go, he's my true elder brother, he's my true elder brother, I got to repeat it enough times so then I believe it. That knowledge and the reality of that and how it changes our hearts is not work that we can do on our own. That knowledge and that work is the work that the Holy Spirit takes and what he what we cannot do, he enables as he comes and he begins to melt, he begins to change, he begins to transform, he begins to work in our hearts. That is not something that you and I do. The reason why you and I are still younger brothers and older brothers is not because we're not trying hard enough. It's many times because the work of the Holy Spirit that does this in us has not been tried yet. So here's what I want to do. As a sign to you of what the Christian life looks like, if you are somebody here that's saying, I am that older brother, I'm two of those, five of those, all of those, one of those. I am the older brother. And Peter, I can't like make myself believe. Yeah, Jesus, true elder brother. Good insight. Never heard that before. But but it doesn't help. It doesn't work. Of course it doesn't help. Of course it doesn't work. You can't do it on your own. It's the work that the Holy Spirit takes and says, now watch this. Watch this. So here's what I want to do. If you are an older brother and throughout the series you've said, God, I can't begin to even fathom how to change. I need something. That something is this prayer, moment by moment, day by day, in community, with somebody, by yourself. So if you are an older brother and you say, I want to change. I, last week I had you guys come up. This week what I want to do is I want to have people pray for you, pray with you. And so will you just stand? Will you just stand from where you are? I'm not going to have you come up. Will you just stand from where you are? In a moment, I'm going to release the rest of our church to come around you and pray for you, okay? All right. Okay. One person has said, okay, yep, yep, uh, I got I'm serious. We can't know who you are and pray for you and pray with you unless we know who you are. Who are you? Older brothers, elder brothers, who are you? Who are you? I'm standing up here not because I'm preaching. I'm standing up here because I'm one of them. Don't be. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is who we are. And transformation and change. Journey starts here with prayer. Anybody else? Anybody else? Stand up. Just stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to be nice and cordial. Just stand up. Come on. Just stand up. This is not time to play the Christian role. Come on. Just stand up from where you are. Just stand up from where you are. Anybody else? I need to wait until... Because I need you, church, brothers and sisters in Christ, I need you to look around. Not in judgment. Don't you dare be self-righteous. We're going to pray for each other. Anybody else? Is there anybody else? Anybody? Is there anybody else? We just want to pray for you. We just want to pray for you and with you. That's all. Anybody else? Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Don't do do it for me. You know, next time I should just go like this, right? (laughs) Just have everybody say, because I don't care. I don't care if there's one person standing. It's not about me. I want us to pray for you. Anybody? Is there anybody else? Okay. Okay. Now, here's what I need. Those of you guys that are standing around and sitting around these folks, I need you to stand up right now, turn around, go to them, and I need you to lay your hands on them. Just do it right now. Do it right now. All the brothers and sisters that are standing right now, let's be the church. Let's be a family here. Let's be a family. Surround these folks. Surround these folks wherever they're at, wherever they're at, so that there's not a single person, not a single person that's just standing on their own. It doesn't matter if you don't know their names. It doesn't matter if you don't know their story. Them standing up is decoration enough. You know what they're wrestling with. And as we're surrounding our brothers and our sisters today, I want you to spend the next couple of moments praying for them, pray over them. 
pray that the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit will begin to work in their hearts, will begin to work in their lives. That God would soften the hardened hearts. That God would bring about hope where there's been no hope. That God would enable them perhaps to begin the journey of forgiveness that they can on their own. Pray right now. Pray right now over your brothers and your sisters. Let's spend just a moment doing that. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. And as we end this prayer time, what I'd love is if there's one person that's surrounding the people, if there's one of you that's surrounding somebody that you're praying for, if one person could just lift up a prayer for that person, okay? And then the worship team will lead us in this song of praise and response. So right now, just take a moment. One person from a group, pray for that brother. Pray for that sister. Will you do that? Take a moment to do that. Remember what I said. I want to spend just the next 10, 15 seconds clapping and just thanking God, praising God. No request, no asking. Take this time just to thank you, Lord. You are God. You are Lord. You are one. You have done it, God. You are God. You are Lord. You have done it, God. You are God. You are Lord. You have done it, God. You are King. We honor you. We worship you. We adore you for who you are, for who you are, for who you are, for who you are, and what you have done. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't that feel great just thanking him and adoring him let's do that more often amen that's what he's about have a great week we'll see you back here as we begin our new journey through the book of acts god bless you and may his peace be with you both now and forevermore take care you guys